Welcome to Logical, the UAE's first and really only legal podcast. My name's Tim Elliott. Logical comes to you from the Dubai-based legal firm HPL, Yamalava and Plethka. And as always, the managing partner is with me, Ludmilla Yamalava. Good to see you. Good to see you too, Tim, and thanks for being here as always. You are welcome. Today, it's the regulations behind short-term rentals. And we should say from the outset, this is specifically Dubai rather than the UAE. Now, uh, Dubai's been super busy of late, Ludmilla. It is tourist season, despite some of the rain we've uh, had, which has been torrential at times. But it's kind of the right time to discuss how short-term rentals work from a legal standpoint, I think. First of all, there are a number of laws in place that anyone about to rent out a holiday home here in Dubai really should be aware of, aren't there? Indeed. And so what this uh, particular discussion comes on the heels of is um, what has now become very popular, the sort of short-term rentals by private owners, uh, as opposed to or as in comparison to hotel, your typical or your more classical hotel rentals. And as many of us would know that the Dubai in particular has been quite successful and prolific uh, in terms of attracting guests and, and visitors from all over the world uh, to occupy its many very nicely built and luxurious hotels all over the city uh, and um, with just an impeccable services um, and um, views and so on and so forth. So, And on the back of that, obviously, Dubai, because it had uh, proven itself to be such a desirable tourist, uh, tourism destination, now, more and more tourists kept flocking into uh, into Dubai, and with that, more and more hotels were opening up, uh, and uh, the prices so obviously were reflected uh, with uh, regards uh, in connection or in correspondence with the, the I guess the bigger and the higher uh, traffic of tourists. Uh, but in parallel, what we have been observing, and in many countries this trend had developed perhaps earlier, was just these uh, rentals of home rentals, so holiday home rentals, in particular through Airbnb. And these kinds of options have proven to be quite successful and, and popular uh, and especially more appealing to families uh, versus, um, let's say, individuals or couples and such. Uh, and in many in many cases, they've um, become more preferable to your traditional hotel stays. And so, and yet in Dubai, we had the, the hotel industry was quite well regulated. But with regards to the short term rentals of private properties, um, that whole area was rather unregulated. There were no laws. Uh, that would set any kind of framework as to whether this was legal or illegal, and people were renting out properties. Obviously, in, in the absence of a specific regulation, uh, people started to uh, to um, uh, rent out their properties uh, and uh, even offer them on Airbnb. And then on the back of that, there was all sorts of discussion about whether that was legal, whether it was not legal, and there was these, um, uh, to an extent, maybe there were rumors, to an extent, maybe they were substantiated uh, on the back of certain statements that, well, this was illegal, illegal, and only only those who were specifically licensed uh, to provide 
this kind of service could legally do so and everybody else, therefore, even if it's your own private property, then you were sort of not doing it legally. And so there was this um, even perhaps, again, there's rumor that, for example, Airbnb was illegal or any kind of short-term rentals through anything other than traditional hotel uh, hotels uh, was illegal. Uh, so for a while, that discussion was rather um, prolific in the news. And uh, in the meantime, a few things uh, developed and and perhaps crystallized one uh, that it's true that if you are renting out multiple properties for example if i'm an agent uh, a real estate agent and this by the way also was one of the topics in, in the context of, the, of this discussion is that i'm an agent and now i go and i represent let's say 15 20 units uh, of different owners and i start uh, showing them and, and renting out and managing those properties well, in a way, there was a, there was a legal issue there is because as an agent to, and this is the overall, uh, perhaps preamble to any kind of business activity in the UAE is that if you, and any sort of business activity ultimately requires to have a proper license or business license. So as an agent, I would have to have a specific license for that kind of activity. Well, at that time, there was no such license. So that was one legal nuance that, um, appeared and perhaps gave uh, legitimately and rightfully so the government a foothold in terms of, okay, well, this this activity uh, being done in this kind of way is, is illegal. Uh, then there were, for example, um, uh, owners, individual owners that would have 15, 20 units, and they said, okay, we were going to rent out our units uh, this way and um, without an agent. Uh, well, in that case as well, there's a question, well, if you're doing it at that at that level where you have multiple units, does that constitute a business? And if it constitutes a business, then should this also require a license? So in other words, licensing became a question, rightfully so. Uh, but what we're talking about right now is not necessarily these kinds of examples. What we're talking about is, let's say somebody has one unit or two units, and that's your, their own unit and even their own home. Uh, and as we know, Dubai has a lot of, um, a lot of, um, perhaps residents or investors, uh, who may or may not live here full time and would, would be happy and, uh, to rent out their property. Or maybe they have an extra one that they had invested in. And so it doesn't necessarily rise to the level of a business to qualify, for example, or to warrant a business license, application for a business license. Uh, but at the same time, it is a, it is an activity or perhaps an activity that in some ways competes with uh, with the hotel industry, but in other ways uh, affects the um, public interest. Uh, because there are more and more options like that on the market where individual units are being offered to the greater public and the public comes to Dubai. Now, instead of uh, staying at hotels, they stay in these private units. So you can see how private interest is and, and, and public interest uh, now becomes more involved and, um, and why perhaps uh, it became natural for the authorities to step in. It's okay, well, this is a space we must regulate, and we must regulate from different dimensions. And so that's kind of the history, if you will, the backdrop of of these um, holiday home regulations and um, and you know, why they why they are the way they are. And uh, just to give some anecdotal evidence and why in particular there was a time that came where this this sort of activity really needed to be regulated is that more and more people were now 
opting for these holiday home reservations or holiday home stays in exchange for in 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 lieu of traditional hotel rooms but then and they would come to dubai and bring their whole families and plan these holidays and vacations and then show up and then we'll make payments up front. And in most of these cases, payments were made up front. Mm. Uh, and uh, so they would show up and there was no one here to meet and greet them. And the property that they couldn't even find, so-called the agent that they had been communicating with, or the property that they were so-called sold or uh, or marketed was not at all the property that they wanted or, or that they expected, uh, uh, nor, or for example, um, there were all sorts of issues with the property. Uh, and it was, let's say, didn't have running water or security, proper security or clean sheets or what have you. And so what ended up happening is for all those cases, there was no, you know, there was no really legal mechanism, uh, for, um, uh, for, for at least in, in those cases for the tenants or so-called the victims, uh, to, uh, address their disputes or address their matters because all of this was kind of done off uh, in private. Uh, and uh, I don't want to say under the table necessarily, but without any kind of a legal framework behind them. So there was not even a place uh, or a mechanism for them to report their disputes to or through. Uh, so, uh, and then at the same time, this became quite apparent that it was in the interest of the public for the authorities to step in and ensure that there was some kind of a mechanism, some sort of a framework to avoid these kinds of uh, instances and incidents because in many, in many ways it reflects poorly on Dubai and on its uh, tourism in general. So, um, so on the back of that, then Dubai in particular set up what's called the Department of Tourism and Commerce Marketing Department, or otherwise called DTCM. Uh, and the DTCM was, uh, among other things, was given the mandate to um, to operate a short-term rental properties um, market in, in Dubai. And as part of it, um, you know, once once you sort of appoint an authority, then you have some regulations that you sort of set forward that now start creating a legal framework in terms of uh, what the authority can do and um, what are the requirements if you wanted to qualify your home as the holiday home. Uh, so some of the relevant regulations and over the years, this started perhaps the first regulation was in 2013. So almost, I mean, I guess now 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was, um, that was the decree number 41 of 2013. And it was regulating the activity of leasing out holiday homes in the Emirate of Dubai. So that's, that's the initial uh, legal authority that set the framework for homes in Dubai. So think about it, 10 years, it's not that such a long time ago. And because Dubai has been a very popular tourist destination for much longer than that. For sure. Uh, and so, and then... In 2014, there was an additional Executive Council Resolution Number 49, which approved fees and fines related to the activity of leasing out holiday homes in the Emirate of Dubai. So you see, so how the way it, it started, so first there was initial foundational legal framework for setting up, first of all, the DCCM as the governing authority for holiday homes, and, and second, setting out some sort of framework, a general framework in terms of how to qualify uh, to register at your home, one, and two, as a party, what documents you need to submit to the authorities to to obtain 
ultimately a license to rent out your home as a holiday home. But then a year later, there was a, an add-on regulation that now sets up penalties or first of all, fines you know, for payments to the authorities for you renting out your home and in exchange for the authorities kind of overlooking and supervising this activity. And then two, also fines for violating any of these regulations. So that's how in, in, in legal terms, uh, the law was developing. Then in 2020, there was an additional administrative re- resolution number one uh, issuing the executive regulations of decree number, that, which went back to the initial decree number 41 of 2003, regulating the activity of leasing out holidays, homes, and uh, so the, and it's an add-on or, if you will, an, an amendment to the original law uh, of 2013. And then shortly thereafter, there was another uh, another guide or marketing guide that was issued. It's called the it's the DTCM marketing guide regulating activity of leasing out holidays homes, uh, and that's basically the marketing guide in terms of what how they can market these properties and where they can market and such. And that's uh, dated 2020. And it's called the guide. So here, just as a summary, in terms of the legislative foundation for holiday homes in Dubai, uh, it started in 2013, and um, and the latest uh, uh, regulation was issued in 2020. So again, quite recent still. Uh, so these are the uh, illegal terms of regulations that set out, for example, the eligibility requirements, uh, the process for obtaining and renewing and canceling a license. Uh, and, and operating a holiday home in accordance with obviously the, the legislative framework. Uh, so, uh, as um, uh, as you can extrapolate from this, there is ultimately at a high level there is a a regulating authority, you know, b there is a legislative sort of framework in terms of what can cannot be done, and then c uh, the requirement of obtaining a license to perform this kind of activity, and then d and it's it's um, the requirements for specific what can qualify. Uh, to be a specific um, home that was that is um, that is eligible for a holiday home uh, license. Uh, so, um, uh, and as part of this, the the DTCM offered on its website a service to apply for this kind of a license. And and in a way, it, uh, the differences, the small differences, are um, depending on who is applying, the party that's applying for the license, whether it's an individual, for example, you Tim or me as an individual, or whether it's a company that's applying. So the requirements are somewhat different, but ultimately what it comes down to is now as per these regulations, there is a requirement for the party to um, to basically show two things. One is who this party is, and that submit these details to the authorities. So let's say if I'm an individual, I have to submit a copy of my passport, my Emirates ID, uh, and um, uh, the title deed for the property that I'm actually a, an owner, qualified, <laughs> eligible owner of this particular property and not some uh, some sort of a stranger again. And the, there previously had been many cases like this where people were renting out somebody else's properties. Uh, so now there's a mechanism through the authorities as part of this license application that I, as an individual, had to show who I was uh, as, as a party to this transaction. Or, for example, if you, Tim, had a, a company behind you and you were doing it as a business, so you'd need to present all the same documents to the authorities showing that you... Uh, your trade license, what your, that your activity actually allowed you to this kind of short-term leasing uh, and insurances and um, the copy of the passport of the manager and so on and so forth. So mm. all the typical sort of due diligence. I mean, the, the point is, isn't it, that everything here comes under the DTCM, the Department of uh, Tourism and Commerce Marketing. So if if it's to do with tourism in Dubai, 
it comes under the DTCM. And that is the point you're making. Exactly. And that is one thing that Dubai has been particularly effective at, is just designing, creating the specific authorities that govern specific industries. So, for example, we have the Dubai Land Department that governs our real estate market. Uh, by the way, in other Emirates to this day, there isn't such an authority. So, for example, in Abu Dhabi, uh, there is still, it's, it's under the municipality, the Abu Dhabi municipality, any kind of property registration. Whereas in Dubai, it's a specific authority, which is called the DLD or RIRA. Uh, and similarly, for uh, for tourism, there is a special dedicated authority that deals with this and anything to do with uh, holiday homes uh, it now falls under the jurisdiction of this authority. And as you rightfully said, uh, even though you may be thinking, well, this is I'm just this is one of my investments, an extra property I have, I'm just renting it out. You may not thinking be thinking of it in terms of the tourism industry, but it is because you're ultimately renting it out uh, to um uh, to the outsiders, um, then in most cases non-residents, and therefore uh, that's a, that's the tourism in the market that you are you are targeting, and so therefore naturally it fall under the jurisdiction uh, jurisdiction of DTCM. And one of the nice things of DTCM is because tourism has been such an important part of uh, Dubai industry, uh, it's an authority that's quite well funded uh, and well regulated and managed and well staffed. Uh, and so as part of um, uh, their mandate, in terms of the ser- services that they offer to the public, they're quite well developed and um, you know, at the risk of uh, maybe overusing this word, but fairly sophisticated in their in- interface with the users, and among which uh, is their website, for example, and all the services that they offer through the website. So, for example, if you wanted to apply for uh, your own holiday home license, you would all do it through their website, and the website is fairly user-friendly and easy to kind of navigate and and, and um, maneuver, which is extremely important because uh, uh, this is what it's about. You know, let's say you want kind of the ease of being able to, you, let's say it's your own home and you're leaving for the holidays all of a sudden. You want that kind of ease. You want to do it legally. You need to get a license. And then um, to do this, is you know, it doesn't require as perhaps was the case early on. And that's why also a lot of people shied, shied away from applying for licenses because you had to go somewhere physically and you had to stand in line and wait for weeks to get some kind of approvals and such. Now it's all done through the website. Uh, the specific service that's dedicated for this kind of a, a holiday home license. Uh, you upload all the documents on the portal. Uh, you create a login account. You have your own access to your own portal. Uh, and then you upload all the documents and you manage everything through this portal, which mm. is quite important. And that is one of, um, one of the great things that DTCM has always been known for is just in that kind of a uh, fairly technologically advanced user interface, uh, which I guess logically goes along with its mandate of encouraging tourism and, and, and facilitating the kind of user experience in Dubai for, for outsiders. I mean, it's, it's reasonable to say, isn't it, that if people uh, outside looking in at Dubai in this region, in the Gulf, let's take that as the example, Dubai is, and I think you're, the word you use there is right, Dubai is sophisticated in tourism terms. Uh, absolutely, and uh, for all the right reasons, it has to because it's yeah. well, while it's fairly new economy, new city. Uh, it's become extremely popular uh, over a very short period of time mm-hmm. with very, very large um, uh, numbers of tourists. Tourists who perhaps in the past only used to come during certain periods of time, but now, uh, fast forward um, a few years, it's it seems like 
you know, are, we're always kind of in the tourism season. It's no longer just the winter season. Uh, even, for example, during Ramadan, it was kind of the low season before because uh, the country was a lot more conservative in re- with regards to so, to observing Ramadan and its, its traditions. And so, therefore, a lot of for tourists, perhaps it was not the best time to come because a lot of the services that they would otherwise, otherwise would want to benefit from were no longer available. Well, even that has changed. And uh, now, um, in most cases, the shops and the restaurants uh, and uh, cafes uh, remain open and they're even licensed to, uh, to serve uh, drinks uh, even during this time. And even the music is no longer a restriction. I mean, there's still obviously some, some sensible limitations that need to be observed. Uh, but for the most part, it's, it's, there's no much difference, um, which is quite a, quite a significant departure from how it used to be. So, uh, to add to your point, Tim, yeah, which means now that even that period of time is no longer an off, off, uh, tourism season. Uh, so we're always sort of in season. We're always uh, attracting investors or, or tourists, even during the peak of the summer month, by the way. We've also had that because a lot of people find that, for example, rent is cheaper or rooms are cheaper. Hotels are more accessible uh, in the summer times. And, and there are a lot of people who just love the sun and the water. All they want to do is just hang in the pool and, uh, and get a bit of sun. So yeah, even the summer for them does not scare them. Yeah, I mean, it is... Um... It's hot, but you're guaranteed a bit of sunshine in Dubai. That really is the point. Um, Let's look in a little bit more detail at eligibility requirements. If you want to operate a holiday home in accordance with Dubai laws, individuals I'm gathering can hold up to eight um, licenses or eight permits simultaneously. Is that right? Um, yes, that's correct. And uh, these permits, by the way, are issued for anything between three months to 12 months, by the way. That's also important to, to highlight is that you can just, let's say, if you just wanted to rent out your property for um, the month of uh, or the summer when you were away or for the month of December, if you go back to your home country in uh, for the holidays. So you can just get a three month uh, permit uh, or, or a maximum of 12 months. And this this permits uh, are renewable every, um, yeah, I guess, at the, at the end of every period. But yes, as you rightfully said, for individuals can only obtain a maximum of eight permits simultaneously. And this perhaps is um, an example of where, at which point uh, the authorities would expect for you to maybe obtain a license versus operating as an individual, but obtain a business license to do this as a business. Okay. Uh, okay. So if you're an individual, you can get up to eight licenses. Let's say if you have 12 or 15 properties, which, by the way, is not uncommon. In the UAE, there's a lot of very successful investors that kind of went in early and have multiple properties. In that case, perhaps here is the, uh, here's the incentive for them to set up. And that's, that's the, um, the expectation of the government at that point. This, this is more akin to a business activity and therefore in line with the UAE company's law and corporate law, uh, you should actually have a license because you're now really operating more as a business versus just an individual investor. So in that case, you would obtain, you will no longer be an individual, you will not be a company. And so the restriction of a license or that kind of a number of licenses uh, no longer applies. Uh, now, in terms of what can um, qualify, what kind of properties can qualify, uh, or be uh, for eligibility requirements to obtain this this holiday home license is it has to be an apartment in a building that's designated for you know for this sort of activity there are some by the way apartment buildings that are off limits um, and that's perhaps of the type of um, people that they attract uh, or sort of residents uh, so um, 
or for you know some other reasons. So this has to be a, a, a specific building that qualifies, or perhaps does not have restrictions, um, and it has to be in the residential building. So it cannot be an office. <laughs> At least for the time being, and you can't try to convert an office and rent it out as a as a residential building or as residential um, uh, unit, uh, or it could be a house or a villa, uh, and um, or it could be also in a compound or it could be an independent villa. So any one of those uh, would qualify. Uh, what you cannot do is, is for example, do it as a hotel room. So let's say I come in here, I rent a hotel room for a month or two, and then I rent it out to you, <laughs> Tim, for a short, short stay. Uh, so that, that's a specific restriction or limitation, uh, that, uh, is, um, is off limits. Uh, and as part of, uh, as I mentioned earlier, as part of qualification requirements as a homeowner, be it as an individual or as a, as a business, you have to present title deed to show uh, that, you know, you actually have a legal right uh, to dispose of that property or to manage that property. Uh, and um, also, in, in some ways, you could, by the way, that's quite interesting. So even as a tenant, you may be able to rent out your property as a holiday home, as a tenant, uh, but you do need to present an NOC from your landlord. Okay, so in theory, I mean, I, I rent a house here. I, I could, if my landlord said, it's fine, I could rent that out if I was away for the summer, for example. Exactly. And this, by oh. the way, is a, an, a fairly recent addition to the legislative framework, and that was it, it was set out in administrative resolution from the 2020, which is fairly new, uh, where that specific requirement is now mentioned. So it's, and you can see how this is a sort of in the way a win-win because you could be renting a property here and you could be, could be, could be a very good tenant uh, and a long-term tenant and you have a good relationship with your landlord and as a tenant you leave your property often enough where you would love to be able and you don't mind to be able to renting it out uh, to uh, as a holiday home in particular on the Airbnb because as we know Airbnb principle or concept is based in many cases on renting out somebody else's home uh, so um, as long as so the authorities now uh, allow for it as long as it's done with the consent of the landlord uh, which in many ways obviously makes sense. And that also is in line with the general Dubai law on subletting. And that is subletting of itself uh, is not, uh, is allowed rather, or is, is legal if there is a consent from the landlord uh, or from the property owner. When it comes to permits, what documentation do you need to upload to the portal? And what kinds of costs are we looking at? Yes, yeah, so it depends on, in terms of the permits, the documentation depends whether you're an individual or, or, uh, a company that's applying. And so it's basically any kind of, all the documents related to as part of the due diligence in terms of who the party is. So if you're an individual, you need to submit your passport copy, your title deed, and, um, your Emirates ID, for example. Uh, and, um, um, you know, perhaps in some cases, the uh, title deed I said for sure. Uh, and then maybe the sales and purchase agreement, because some, some communities, for example, may have restrictions against short-term rentals. Uh, though, to be honest with you, in practical terms, I haven't seen that particular restriction being applied or enforced so much. Uh, so, um, uh, but basically anything, but if, and if you are, uh, if you're a company, then you'd also need to submit your articles of associations, uh, and then passport copies of, let's say, the manager, uh, and maybe like certain shareholder resolutions or at least a certificate of incumbency. 
uh, basically anything that shows that you are this entity A is licensed to uh, conduct this kind of activity, and then B that has the right to rent out these particular properties. Uh, so the title deeds would always be there, and any kind of documentation that shows that you as, a, as an entity either own these uh, properties on the title deed, or that you have, for example, a management agreement or a power of attorney uh, or some kind of um, authorization, official authorization to represent uh, these uh, these buildings or, or these properties. Um, and um, so that's with regards to the documents. And in terms of the application fees, the application fee in this is paid to DDCM. Uh, also, the other documents, I guess you need to submit DIWA, also that's the Dubai Water and Electricity Bill, uh, and it has to be for no less than three months, and also um, the name of the owner and the tenant uh, as well that needs to be submitted to authorities as, as some of the documents. And then, and then payment of the application fees, uh, which are which depend on the size of the property. So, for example, if it's a studio, one bedroom, it's three hundred seventy dirhams. If it's a two bedroom, it's six hundred and seven uh, six hundred seventy. If a three bedroom, nine hundred seventy. And if it's a four plus. Uh, uh, bedrooms, it's uh, 1,200, uh, 1,270 dirhams. And as I sh- said, these permits are issued for either 3 to 12 months maximum, and they must be renewed. Uh, so um, now on top of that, there are also some tourism fees that have to be paid on the regular um, on the regular basis. So uh, the, the previous fees I, I cited, these are to apply for the permit. This is the tourism dirham, isn't it? And DTCM collect. That. Exactly, exactly, right. yes. Okay. And so here, uh, this is basically, the, and the, these fees are per night. And uh, that's the, for the deluxe holiday home, it's 15 dirhams per night. Okay. Uh, and then for the standard holiday home, it's 10 dirhams per, per night. Okay. And so that is, that has to be paid to DDCM and the different ways of paying this. Uh, and, but it has to be collected for each month and, um, has to be paid by the 15th of the month of uh, the following month. Uh, and can be paid either through the direct deposit checks or bank transfers. And again, all that information is readily available in DCM to kind of help you uh, make the payment timely and duly, so to speak. Uh, you know, there's another interesting um, payment, and this came up recently. I heard it from a few clients and have sort of seen it in practice. And that is the what's called uh, the housing fee that's paid or or like the tax now, this uh, they, is if you rent an apartment or a villa here in Dubai, you pay. I think it's is it five percent if you rent rent, and that's that's like a, a housing fee tax that we have to pay, and that's collected with your uh, electricity, water, and electricity bill. Correct, and this, by the way, is collected from the tenant or the owner or exactly. the occupier, and not yes. the landlord. Uh, um, so, uh, so we've heard recently some of the properties um, that were the tenants or the, the uh, tourists would come and um, then at some point um, they would be asked to they would collect the five percent the sort of uh, housing fee municipality fee um, and then usually the agent who would rent out the property would collect it from them so they could pay it pay it to the authorities. So that's quite interesting. I think that's um, um, something to keep in mind because it's not always uh, clearly disclosed. And that is in terms of okay, when you were, and especially for a lot of the holiday home uh, residents uh, or visitors, you know, if you've ever rented through Airbnb, you sort of used to just pay one sum through Airbnb and you're done. There's not nothing else. It's unlike your hotel stay. You don't have to pay a tourist tax and um, a hotel tax and a VAT tax and so on and so forth. Or you, you don't have to pay this extra cost. You just pay to Airbnb, whatever you pay. Well, in this particular case, and 
uh, it, there was uh, the agent collected additional amounts to pay to the authorities. Uh, so that's interesting because I, I think in a way maybe this was just a kind of an example of of um, how some of the some of these properties are managed or rented out. But I guess another way of doing it, collecting all these fees that you'd collect upfront through, for example, the portal or the service that you'd be using, such as Airbnb. So it is possible and feasible to just rent uh, through um, or, or collect all these fees upfront. Uh, uh, through Airbnb, and then you spell out all which fees go where, and then that agent who manages the property or the owner will uh, take the 5%, for example, and pay directly to the government uh, mm. on behalf of the tenant or behalf of um, um, the occupier. Okay, but, you know, that does need to be paid. And that could add, if you came to, I don't know, stay for a week, two, three, four weeks, that could add a good couple of hundred dollars to your overall fee. I mean, I mean you see, exactly. And this is why it kind of goes back to why we're talking about this legislation to begin with. Yeah. And that's a key because of that, because there's so much of this sort of mismatch in the past. And even to this day, with all these regulations in place, there are still some questions about, well... Uh, do I have to pay VAT, for example? Uh, and do I have to pay this municipality fee or the housing fee? Or what about the tourism fee? Do I have to pay a tourism fee? And, and so, um, so I think that's, uh, that's obviously, I would, I would argue that the burden should be on the owners or the, the agents that manage these properties to clearly spell out all these costs so that uh, occupiers or visitors know exactly what to expect. And when they're supposed to pay this, because this is like some examples that I'm just mentioning right now. These are real life examples that we heard in our practice where someone, visitors have checked in and then somebody just knocked on the, on the door and said, by the way, I need to collect this additional 5% to give to the government. So, you know, it's about managing expectations. And perhaps this is an example uh, of how the expectation, this was not in line with expectations. Um, uh, so, but certainly... Something that the, the 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 rules provide for, and and the are there enough methods or tools uh, to um, to keep visitors and uh, tourists informed ahead of time, so that <laughs> this does not come as a surprise. Okay, I mean, one thing the DTCM is very clear about is that when a guest checks in, the conditions that need to be met. There's the the holiday homes website. All guests have to be entered onto the system. The DTCM run that system, don't they? Uh, indeed, yes, they do. And um, also, as, as part of this, um, the, the, I guess the conditions for holiday homes, the DTCM makes it very clear that as a as a landlord or as an owner or as an agent that's renting out properties, you also there's a lot of obligations in terms of what information you provide uh, to these guests. Uh, um, and um, and then that's, for example, it's the the terms and conditions of you know what can and cannot be done in your home. That's the burden is on you. Uh, while DTCM does not provide with any kind of a, a, a standard or a template of these terms and conditions or any kind of agreement uh, that uh, standard agreement that uh, landlords should uh, sign with their visitors or owners which should sign with their sign with their visitors, there is an expectation that there will be some sort of a service agreement or an agreement, and there will be some terms and conditions and internal rules for visitors. Uh, that they must abide by, uh, and also um, building management. Every build, every community has uh, perhaps its own uh, its own regulations, and so uh, among uh, some of which could be the requirement that all these guests provide their copies of their passports. 
Uh, and once again, you can see how this is important for security reasons, right? Whoever it is that as a management company or community, you want to know who those people, the, the guests that are coming uh, are. Uh, and uh, similar so for DTCM, they, they would want to know who is residing in your property because I mean, for, I guess I don't need to give examples, but for security reasons, if something happens to this person, if they get sick, uh, they need, the authorities need to know and the community need to know uh, who occupies uh, these properties, who these people are and, um, uh, and how to get in, t- in contact with them. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, so as you said, so because of that, all these guests, um, have to check in. Uh, on the on the DDCM um, website and also with a particular community, and so that if you're a responsible guest or management or, or guest guest uh, or agent uh, or owner, you would make sure that all your guests are registered also with your community, and pa- pa- copies of their passports are also submitted to the uh, to the community, uh, so um, um, that everybody knows how to basically who these people are, <laughs> and then they're not some. As some uh, strangers to the community and um, and how they can be uh, identified. And this also comes with a lot of practical issues, such, for example, if you are going to these guests, obviously they're coming to use facilities, right? Pools and beaches and gyms in these communities. So they would need to have access cards. And so to issue these access cards, I mean, that's, you know, that's a, that's a requirement. And this is, by the way, is not atypical or too dissimilar, for example, from when you have guests coming to visit you and you're living on these communities. If you want them to use and they're staying with you and it could be your family members as well. If they're coming to use and they want to use the gym and your pool and whatever other common facilities, that's the requirement. Now you have to present a copy of their passport and register them with the, the community so that they can use the facilities um, um, legally and kind of with full disclosure. Uh, so, um, uh, so, so there's that. That's one of the con- you know that's obviously one of the important conditions. And some of the other conditions that are listed on the DTCM website is are that in the event, let's say as, a, as an owner, you that unit is not. Is not is not available for one reason or another, or it does not meet the the, the promised expectations. Then you need to be able to provide an alternative uh, accommodation. Uh, obviously, that's a lot harder to offer to somebody for whom it's just only a one-off unit. Uh, but for at least for um, it does create an obligation for uh, for all those who run this as a business and who have multiple units or for agents is that if you've lured somebody in to come and rent from you, then you need to make sure that if this unit for some one reason or another is not available or does not meet the expectations that you have an alternative. Let me pick you up on uh, facilities, for example. If you don't get what has been advertised, uh, and we've all heard you know, the story is the place just wasn't how it looked in the pictures. It's very easy to take a nice wide-angle shot of this amazing huge swimming pool that's actually a postage stamp. You know, the, those things happen. Um, how would you resolve disputes in this case? Where where do you turn to if you don't get what you paid for? Well, this actually is a very topical question because uh, recently, especially as we just um, uh, coming out of our kind of Christmas, New Year season, uh, there's been a flurry of questions, examples, anecdotal uh, stories, and um, and complaints, and perhaps even news articles. And we've in our in our own law practice uh, had, had many had many people reach out to us complaining exactly about that. So I have rented this property. I came to on the day to check in, and the property is not available. <laughs> so it turned out it was not available. Uh, or when we came to um, 
to check, to check in. The agent said that, well, that property was not available. A different property was available. Uh, or you know, we came, we were promised uh, access to the facilities, let's say the pool and the beach, and it turns out that we cannot use the facilities. Uh, or um, let's say some of the basic facilities were not operating, like the wash and dryer or the um, the, the washing machine, uh, or for example, the, well, the showers was not working, or AC. And there's been many, many, many examples uh, uh, similar to that. Uh, and so, yeah, what do you do? Yeah. Uh, and so there is so basically so then the name so the the main perhaps point of contact is and this is the beauty of this DTCM uh, and I guess I use the term maybe a little too uh, too easily it's not sort of the beauty but the utility of the DTCM and doing every it all through this authority is that you can file a complaint with DTCM so there's a specific dispute resolution uh, the uh, perhaps department uh, DTCM and there's um, an email it's, it's actually the email address is fairly easy is e-complaints at Dubai Tourism AE uh, and um, the DDCM, the idea is that the DCM, somebody from DCM may try to resolve this if now as, as a tenant or as a visitor, how, how can they resolve this for you and particularly if you're coming for one, one week uh, visit. Uh, so in the very least, uh, the DCM, DCM does have the authority to perhaps uh, put a little bit of pressure on uh, that individual or that company that's uh, the managing this property. So either to, uh, to, to put some pressure on them to give you a different unit uh, or to, in the very least, refund. Uh, so that's kind of where you file complaints. And by the way, all those who may be listening, it's important to know that you should you should file a complaint with DCM one way or another, even, for example, and by the way, we hear this all too often, even if you come for a one week and all of a sudden you arrive with your whole family with suitcases in the middle of the night and you realize, oh, that unit is not available and the agent is missing in action and you just out of desperation, you have no other option, but you go and hire a hotel room and you find some some other last minute accommodation in the Airbnb, you end up renting it through someone else. You should still make uh, the effort to file these complaints with the DCM because the role of the DCM is to keep an eye on all these parties and properties that are uh, that are being rented out as, as holiday homes. And so in the very least, uh, these licenses could be suspended, uh, penalties could be imposed and fines on companies and individuals, uh, and uh, license could be canceled altogether. Uh, and uh, there could be pressure even put on in different ways to make sure that the um, the fees are refunded and such. So, but DTCM has has definitely have some effective um, power and authority to put some pressure on the you know, the holiday home community uh, to make sure that uh, they comply with the regulations and to make sure that the visitors have provided uh, the services that they were represented. That being said, they are only a regulatory authority, so they're not a judicial authority. So uh, it, they can only do so much. They can, let's as I said, they can suspend the license. They can pick up the phone and say you have to pay back, but they don't have the legal authority to uh, to make enforceable decisions and judgments because they're not a judicial authority. So therefore, in Dubai in particular, and this is important, is that any kind of complaints like that you would file through uh, through the rent dispute center, and that's uh, our kind of what's called the rental court, yeah. uh, RDC. So all holiday home disputes would be filed through RDC. And even though uh, you know rent RDC seems a little um, 
you know, to look more at for rentals versus holiday accommodation. Uh, but uh, this RDC court, and it is a court, has expanded its jurisdiction from the initial uh, setup. So, for example, all the all the complaints regarding community a dispute and the service fees and any kind of uh, common uh, commonly owned property disputes. I mean, all fall under the sub, uh, umbrella of DTCM. So equally, so even the uh, the holiday home disputes, uh, they have to be filed through DTCM and that and DTCM through first DTCM and then ultimately RDC and then RDC being the Rental Dispute Center and they have the authority to issue judgments and decisions. And this, by the way, is also good news because there are a lot more RDC by its. Um, a setup and its objective is a lot more efficient and because it um, concentrates or focuses on this very uh, very topics of real estate and, and rental properties in particular and sort of in common uh, ownership. So they are best suited and best positioned to resolve the disputes quickly. Have I missed anything? I think we've pretty much covered it. Uh, yeah, I think basically that's um, that's that's all. There is obviously a lot more kind of nuances in terms of uh, what documents need to be uh, provided and what other additional terms, for example, uh, owners can impose and and uh, and therefore visitors may expect or in, such as deposits. Mm. Uh, and that's uh, there's no requirement, for example, that a deposit is paid, but it is um, it is an option for owners to request a deposit from. Uh, from visitors, and therefore, whenever you have that kind of uh, an, uh, requirement or an obligation, there's also an expectation that deposit being paid back. Yep. And one of the other disputes we've heard is that, well, I've paid my deposit, uh, we've checked out, but we have not received the deposit back. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the other um, uh, elements and nuances to keep in mind. Um, so it's not required that you pay uh, by law, uh, but certainly, uh, there's if you if you do pay. Um, you can understand the logic behind it for owners because they do want to have some sort of a security deposit in the event something happens. But at the same time, uh, it's um, you need to make sure that if as, as a landlord to re- refund it uh, in time because without it, and we've seen this all too often, uh, then you have a dispute. Also, just in general, there is um, there's certain uh, also uh, yes minimum requirements in terms of how the the um, uh, the property, the viability of the property that you rent out, you know, you have to have operational toilets, for example, showers, running water and AC, uh, elevators working and such. So whenever you don't have at least a kind of some of the basic as well um, regulations that are listed throughout the different uh, authorities, but um, but ultimately, if, if something like this is, is not available, that does give grounds for visitors to cancel the entire uh, the entire agreement and expect the full amount back. So, for example, let's say I rented a property in Burj Khalifa and the elevators that, you know, those few days don't work for one reason or another, or I don't have access to the elevators because the agent forgot to activate my uh, my elevator access. Well, that, in legal terms, would give you grounds to request cancellation of the agreement and the reinstatement in the initial position, uh, i.e. Re- full refund. Uh, but these kinds of examples are becoming all too often or too frequent, and they, if they cannot be resolved by DTCM, 
then your next uh, uh, point of contact is RDC. And uh, this is why whenever you rent, make sure you collect documents and evidence. And because if, if this, if the dispute arises, this is what you're going to have to rely on. And that's copies of all these documents and representations, particularly if you're going to be uh, disputing your, the payment, uh, uh, because, for example, one promise or representation or another were not provided. That is another episode of Logical, this time short-term rental regulations, holiday homes, if you like, really, here in Dubai, but specifically here in Dubai rather than uh, the UAE. Our legal expert, as always, Ludmilla Yamala, the managing partner here at Yamala and Plethka, and thank you. Thank you, Tim. Find us at LY Law, social media, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn. There's a huge growing library of podcasts, hundreds of them, all kinds of legal matters here in the UAE covered, all free to listen to. To get a legal question answered in a future episode of Logical, or if you'd like to talk to a qualified UAE experienced legal professional, go to lylawyers.com and click contact.